Continuing our study through the Minor Prophets, I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk might be the most emotionally and intellectually intriguing of all the Minor Prophets. While we usually see the beginning of the book as this minor prophet receiving a message from the Lord, the message for Habakkuk doesn't come quite as easy. It's not a message that just arrives, that God shows to Habakkuk and then he carries it to some nation, to some people. But instead, Habakkuk receives this message through deep, deep struggle, through deep questioning. You see, in Habakkuk's life, he looked at the circumstances around him and he thought about what he knew about God, the things that he had been taught about God in the Israelite faith. And as he looked at what was around him and that as he thought about what he had been taught, what he knew about God, he saw a disconnect. And so Habakkuk, in deep, deep anguish, begins to ask God, God, how? This, this is not making sense. And so it's in the midst of Habakkuk actually questioning God that he receives this message. And so you'll see if you'll open your bulletins and get that white folded sheet of paper there. I have a, a summary statement of the book of Habakkuk. And he says, it says, Habakkuk teaches us that questioning God can lead to profound revelations of truth and genuine praise. And immediately some of you are just going to be kind of beside yourselves. Because when we say questioning God in our culture, what that means is not go to God and ask Him, but instead it just means in our minds really just questioning who God is. And that's the problem. That's where the problem lies, is that when we question God, we don't go to God, but we go to ourselves. We go to our own hearts. We go to our friends or other people who we think will tell us what we want to hear instead of taking our questions directly to God. And that might be why we don't get an answer. That might be why our hearts are never satisfied. But you see, when Habakkuk questioned God, when he struggled, his questions went straight to God, the only one who could really give an answer. And so when we take our questions to the Lord, this can lead to profound revelations of truth and of genuine praise, genuine praise. And so this is where we're going. We're going to look at the questions that Habakkuk asked. He asked, God, will you let people get away with their sins? There's no justice. Your law is being defiled, and I don't see you doing anything about it. Are the people going to get away with their sins? So God is going to respond, and his response is a bit surprising. He's going to use a nation, the most wicked nation you can imagine, to come and raid Israel, to destroy Israel. And so Habakkuk is going to ask, God, how can you use one extremely wicked nation to destroy a nation that's not quite as wicked. And God's going to respond again. God's going to respond again. And then, as we see God respond and we see Habakkuk get the, the answer, we see that Habakkuk's questions produce genuine trust in God and genuine praise of God. Genuine praise. So this is, this is where we're going. 
The date of Habakkuk, as you'll see in your notes, is approximately 625 to 598 B.C. This is close to the time time of the prophet we studied last week, Nahum. Close to that time. And that's why it's a prophecy. God is going to say that he's going to raise up this nation of Babylon. Babylon's probably not even in control at the time, but God says he's going to raise up this nation, Babylon, and they are going to be the ones to come and to raid his people. And you'll see in the notes there that Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians in 597 B.C. So this is, the, this is kind of the historical context of when Habakkuk is teaching. There are kings who have been raised up in Israel post-Josiah. You'll remember that Josiah was a righteous king and he destroyed all the idolatry in Israel. But then after him, the, his sons came up and they did wickedly, just as wickedly as any of the other kings in Israel. And so Habakkuk's living during this time, and he's struggling, asking these questions. And so I'd ask you to stand with me now, and let's read Habakkuk, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. God responds, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces go forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. You may be seated. Lord, we come to you asking for your grace that we might see your word this morning. Lord, that we might know you, that we might know you're a God who is intimate with your people, that you hear their cries, even when their cries are sometimes doubts, or sometimes struggle. Lord, thank you that you're a God who loves us, who hears us. And Lord, who changes us. We praise you for your great salvation. And we pray that you would speak clearly this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first point we get to, will God let people get away with their sins? This is Habakkuk's first question. Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? It's a personal plea. And what I want you to see this morning is that Habakkuk was not doing this as if he is the only person who's ever questioned God. 
He's not asking these questions as if he, he's some lone ranger and he's the only one in the, one in the midst of his people who would ever do this. You see, the people of God knew that God was one who heard their cries. He could handle their questions. If you look at your notes, I have some verses from the book of Psalms. You'll see that about 11 times in the Psalms, at least, you have the, the writer crying out to God and asking questions. I want to read to you Psalm 13, and then I have a few that I've not put in your notes, but I'll read these to you just so you can get the sense of how God's people asked questions, how they prayed sometimes in the midst of deep anguish. Psalm 13, 1 through 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long? In just two verses. Psalm 74, 10. How long, O God, will the adversary hurl insults? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? Psalm 79, 5. How long will this go on, O Lord? Will you stay angry forever? How long will your rage burn like fire? Psalm 80, verse 4. O Lord God, invincible warrior, how long will you remain angry at your people while they pray to you? The people of God knew that he was one who listened and that in the midst of their trial, they could call out to him with desperation, with struggle and ask, how long, God? We shouldn't over spiritualize these guys. We shouldn't say they weren't walking with God either. They were experiencing the reality of a believer's life in the world that's often plagued with struggle. We know a God who is perfect and who is reigning. Yet at the same time, we struggle. Our loved ones pass away. Things sometimes just don't go right with us. And in the midst of that, God's people say, He listens and He hears your cries. Cry out. He wants His people to come to Him and ask Him. And so I want to ask you this morning... In the midst of your struggle and your difficulty, maybe even doubt, are you crying out? Some of you think that this is, uh, this is not good religion. This is not good relationship with God. You can't question God. I want to read to you just a couple of quotes. One, honest doubt may be a more, more religious attitude than superficial belief. And then another writer says, refusal to question God is a, form of, a false form of piety. You see, the reality is that as people, we will struggle. We will have difficulty in this life. And sometimes our faith won't make sense to us. We'll have trouble putting the puzzle pieces together. God is sovereign. He's righteous. He's ruling over us. Yet, there's sin all around us. And good people seem, or bad people seem to be doing better than the good people. What do we do with this? And in the midst of this, the word says, cry out to God. He listens and he hears. And so, in verses 5 through 11, after Habakkuk asks these questions, God, are you going to take care of your, your, those who love you? And what about these who are doing evil? Are you going to destroy them? Or are you going to let them just get away with it? Will you let people get away with their sins? And in verses 5 through 11, God responds. And again, as we said, he's going to raise up this nation, the, the Chaldeans and they are going to, the Babylonians, and they're going to be the ones to come and to be God's source of judgment on his own people. 
One thing I just want to point out in, the, in these verses, and then we'll move on, is verse 5. Look among the nations and see. This is God speaking. Wonder and be astounded. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Often this verse is used completely out of context. Look, God's going to do something incredible in our days that we can't even imagine. Here, it's judgment. <laughs> it's not such good news. Not such good news. So God is going to raise up this nation. It, Habakkuk can't even imagine it. But he is going to take care of sin. He is going to deal with sin. People will not get away with their sins. Let's look at the next question Habakkuk asked. He says, how can God use bad people to accomplish his purposes? We ask, we ask questions like this. Why, why do good things happen to bad people? Uh, sometimes in the uh, short phrase, why do the, why do the good die young? Thing, kind of a slang way of putting it. But we ask questions like this. And so let's look at verses 12 of chapter 1 through chap chapter 2, verse 1. We'll read these together. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do, you look, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the righteous, the man more righteous than he? Notice that question. That is Habakkuk's question. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make the mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. And this is the Babylonians, the evil ones. This is who he's speaking of here. Therefore, he makes sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk's second question, how can God use these bad people to accomplish his purposes? Look at what Habakkuk does first as he goes into this question. The question is several verses in. The first thing Habakkuk does as he begins to question God is he recalls what he knows about God. And this is very important. Look at verses 12 through 13. He says, are you not from everlasting? Notice that. He, he knows God is eternal. O Lord, my God, my Holy One. We will not die. God is, has an eternal nature, Habakkuk says. He has an, a personal love, and he has a transcendent holiness. As, God, as Habakkuk bring, gets to this question, the first thing he does is he remembers what he knows about God. Where did he come up with this stuff? Was this just in his head somewhere? He came up with it? No. Look at Psalm chapter 93 as Habakkuk begins to question God he first goes to the word to what he knows about God and what he's been taught about God and this is very important for us to notice because when we question God what we often do is we get our own ideas about God 
We even get our own definitions, maybe of fairness or forgiveness. Remember Peter's question to Jesus? Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? (laughs) Thank God our definitions are not correct. When we question God, we need to go to the word to see what it really says about God. Look at Psalm 93 verses 1 through 5. Remarkable similarity to how Habakkuk refers to God. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. What I hope you see as you look at Habakkuk, even as he doubts a bit and questions God, is that he remembers what he knows about God. He remembers what's true. And so I hope that in the midst of difficulties in your life, That you don't throw out everything that you know is true about God. That you don't begin to cave into your own mind. And begin to think that what you're thinking about God might be true. But that you'll refer to the truth. That you'll stand on it. It's also in Psalm chapter 5 verses 4 through 6. We see this. The psalmist says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. These were things that Habakkuk knew were true about God. And he refers to them even as he struggles and he begins to question. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's dead now, a preacher, incredible man, He addresses Christians. He addresses us with this question. Have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? We must not simply take every passing impulse for granted as true. We must instead learn to talk Bible to ourselves. Here's an illustration of what we're, we're saying here. The psalmist in Psalm 42 He finds himself in this very difficult situation where he's asking, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? The psalmist was in a state of what Lloyd-Jones calls spiritual depression. He couldn't see the light. And in the midst of this, when he's asking, why are you cast down, O my soul, this is what he says, hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Notice what the psalmist is doing. He's not talking to someone else around him. He's speaking to himself. He's referring to what he knows about God, that God is faithful, he's always true. And even in the midst of this struggle and this depression, he he speaks to himself and says, hope in God. He's faithful. I shall again praise him. Now some of us talk to ourselves, but it's not always this healthy, right? Do you speak the truth to yourself? In the midst of your doubting, when your mind begins to get away from you and you begin to uh, maybe get down on yourself, maybe get down on other people, do you speak the truth to yourself? Does the word come and remind you of what's true about who God is? 
We need to be speaking to ourselves because our own minds will deceive us. Our own hearts will even deceive us. And it is the word that will keep us in the truth. We need to be speaking to ourselves. The next thing we see in these verses is Habakkuk, he he brings up these things that he knows about God, but then he begins to ask, how does this relate to my situation? It's just practical theology. God, I see that you're everlasting. I, I see and I know that you're faithful, that you're holy. That you, that you love your people. I know these things, but how does this fit with where I am in life? How does this relate? And I want to point out something really important here, and I really want to stress this. Habakkuk is wrestling within the boundaries of what he knows about God. I remember growing up, I, I watched wrestling. You're, you're welcome, parents. I know that you'll enjoy that, knowing that, all your kids. I watched wrestling, and it, it's not worth watching. It really isn't. But the, the interesting thing is that, and what really showed the ridiculousness of it, is that they would always get outside the ring, right? They, they'd jump outside the ring and go find all these other things to, to fight with, you know? And it was just absurd. They, it wasn't really, it wasn't a real sport. Even boxing and the real sports that take place inside of a ring, they don't let them get outside the ring, right? That's not okay, but what we often do when we're talking about God is don't, we don't say inside the ring. Look, we need to refer to the truth. This is what tells us about who God is. And so when we're talking about God, if we're not within this realm, we're outside the truth. And so Habakkuk is staying within the ring. He's talking about who God is within these uh, parameters of what he knows about God and what's true about God. So anything that contradicts that, it can't, it can't fly. It can't fly. And so Habakkuk brings in these things that he knows about God, and then he says, okay, how, do, how does this work with what I'm seeing? And I want to ask you, sometimes our doubts are just another form of rebellion. Our questions are really a desire to get out from under the rule of God. But that wasn't true for Habakkuk. He really wanted to know what God was all about and what God was doing. But I know that there are some of you in this room who are questioning God, and it's not because you really want to know who God is, but it's really because you want to get outside from the rule of God. You don't want to have to submit to Him and to who He is. And so I want to urge you to be honest with yourself. If you're asking questions about who God is, I want to ask, why? Why is it that you're asking those questions? Is it because you really don't want to love God? You really don't want to obey God? Or is it because you really want to know who he is? The questions for Habakkuk would draw him closer to God. The questions for many of you are just a form of rebellion. A desire to get away from him. And so I hope that you're very honest with yourself about that. Even, because, even if there are things you don't like about God and things he does, it doesn't exempt you from his judgment. He'll still judge you according to who he is, not according to who you'd like him to be. And so I hope that your doubts aren't some out for you, an out of responsibility and of submission to him. So Habakkuk stays within the parameters of who God is, and he asks these questions of how how can you use this nation to destroy our people, this nation who's even more wicked Look at what Habakkuk does next. 
Look at chapter 2, verse 1. As he, after he asks this question, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Basically, what Habakkuk's saying is there was this place where he could go. It was a watchtower, and he could get away, and he would be completely isolated. He would be completely by him. He would be by himself. And what Habakkuk's saying is, I'm going to go. I'm going to get away. I've asked these questions of God, and I just want to sit and wait and see how God will respond. I want to hear from God. I didn't just ask these questions for no reason. I asked the questions because I know God is one who listens, and he's one who will respond to me. And so Habakkuk decides to go and to sit and wait. This is prayer. This is real prayer. And look at chapter 2, verse uh, verse 3. This is God speaking. I want to emphasize the point here of just waiting. This is God. He says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at those words closely. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. What he's saying is that for Habakkuk, it might seem like a long time in coming. Habakkuk may sit for a while and wait. But God says, when it comes, it's timely, it's perfect, and it's there. It happens. And so God's saying, I will bring it to pass. It may seem like a long time to you. I will answer your question, but it may not come in the time that you would like it. And so what we really need to see here is that with God, we don't always get instant gratification. It's not, God, you're going to answer my question now when I want you to. I'm here right now. I'm asking the question right now, and this is when you're going to give me an answer. No. God will give you an answer when he's ready to give an answer. And I do think that we really need to be aware, particularly in our society, of our addiction to instant gratification. If we want something, all we have to do when we make up our mind to buy it is go to the store and buy it. I've recognized this struggle within myself. When I've, Katie and I have said, okay, we're going to think about buying this thing, whatever it may be, and then I decide to buy it. I mean, I'm on it immediately. I'm like, let's go, let's go now. Let's get it. Now, I mean, I can't, sometimes I may not sleep well, and it's ridiculous. It's absurd. But it's at that point that I realize just how addicted to I am to this. And sometimes I take that into my relationship with the Lord. I think, God, I have this question now. Give me the answer now. But that's not how the Lord may work. And so he encourages Habakkuk, wait, wait on me. I will give you an answer. I will reply. And you should know that in the book of Habakkuk, God tells him, he gives him a vision. This is what we're going to see. God reveals his plan, but it's not the event itself. And so what what God actually gives Habakkuk is a sense of assurance and a sense of peace of what he's going to do. It's not that it happens. And so the same may be for you. When you go to prayer, what you really need is not just an answer, but you need God's peace. You need his affirmation that he's faithful and that he's present with you. So let's look at God's plan. In these next verses, God reveals his plan. The first verse we're going to look at specifically is chapter 2, verse 4. And he answers the question of God's purpose for, for Habakkuk, for us, 
for anyone who is waiting in the midst of difficulty. This is God's purpose. Look at verse 4. He first speaks of the evil person. It says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. If there's any verse that has had an effect on Christianity just as in, in history, it's this, this verse has had a dramatic effect. This is the verse that sparked the Protestant Revolution. And when Martin Luther studied this verse, he said it was as if the gates of heaven were opened up to him. He had been a, a struggling with trying to earn God's righteousness on his own. It was when he studied this verse that he realized that it was only by grace. We need to think about this verse. The righteous shall live by his faith. Now, where does this righteous person get his righteousness? Well, the foundation of this verse, where this verse finds its origin, is in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, with Abraham. And that verse says, it's in your notes, And he, being Abraham, believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And so where this person received his righteousness was not from himself. It was directly from God. And so when it says in Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by his faith, he's received righteousness from faith, and he shall continue to live in that faith. And then we get to Romans 1.17, which is where Mr. Al read this morning. When Paul applies this to the gospel. And so, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, beginning, we'll read that one more time this morning. Paul says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is also said in one other way. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And the point of it is, we don't get our righteousness ourselves. Even the righteousness comes from God. And so Habakkuk, is, this revelation to Habakkuk is saying, the person in the midst of difficulty, what his purpose is, is to live by faith, to trust God by faith, to continue to be steadfast. And in that, he will be saved. Are you in difficulty? Trust that your righteousness comes from God alone. It comes by faith, and he expects you to continue to live in that faith. To live in that faith. Look at the next purpose that God reveals. What is God's purpose for me? It's to live by faith. As Paul said, in the one who loved me and gave himself for me, Jesus Christ. But also, what is God's purpose for all creation? Look at verses 13 through 14 of this same chapter. Verses 13 through 14. Here, God has begun to, begun to reveal the answer to Habakkuk's question. How are you going to use this very wicked nation to destroy these people who are wicked but not so bad? 
God has begun to answer that question. And the answer to that question, we'll get to more in a moment, but the answer is he's sovereign over even the extremely wicked nation and he will destroy them as well. His judgment is coming for them. But in his judgment of these wicked people, we see God's purpose for all creation. Look at verse 13. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the eschatological hope, the end time hope in Habakkuk. Here he is pointing to the end. There will be a day when the glory of the Lord will fill the entire earth. That is his purpose for all creation. When he created it, it was good. People walked with him in peace and in beauty. And his purpose for all of it is to restore it back to perfection. To perfection. What he's saying in verse 13 is, if your work, if your labor is not in the Lord, it's in vain. Look closely at that verse. Is it not from the Lord that people's labor merely for fire? He's saying they're laboring, but all their labor is going to result in is their labor and them being destroyed. Because they're not righteous. Also, nations weary themselves for nothing. They're wearing themselves out, but they're not following and trusting in God, so they're going to be destroyed. It's for nothing. But the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what's this mean for us? God's purpose of all creation is to fill the earth with his glory. What's that, what's that mean? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. You can write this verse down. While these people in verse 13 are working in vain, they're just going to be destroyed. All they do is going to be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You see, everything we do in the Lord is not in vain. But as we work for His glory and for His good, we are doing what the Lord's Prayer, Lord's prayer asks us to do. Let His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are obeying Jesus. And so our labor is not in vain. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors for Christ. And it goes on, If though God were making his appeal through us. And the appeal is that men would be reconciled to God. And so what's it mean that God's purpose for all creation is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? It means when you labor in the Lord, your labor's never in vain. And then when you seek his purposes, if, as an ambassador of Christ, and you seek his will being done here on earth, your labor will never be in vain, but you're making his will to be done here on earth. And in Revelation 21, 2, we see the fulfillment of all this. And this stage of history, we're in what's called the now and not yet. Jesus came and he said, my kingdom is here. My kingdom is here among you. The kingdom is at hand, is what he said. But we know as we look at the rest of the New Testament, as we look at even what Jesus said, that we would have trials, that there was still time to come when God would reconcile all things. So the now is Jesus has come, Jesus has rescued us through his death, and we are his servants. We're seeking to be God's ambassadors, to draw people to God, to lead people to God. 
But there's more to come. And in Revelation, we see the complete fulfillment, the not yet. The Revelation, Revelation 21.2, it says, John, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You see, when the new heavens and the new earth come, they come down. They come here. And so when it says, the glory, the, the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, it's here. All this shall be renewed, perfected. Genesis 1 and 2, it was good. It will be good. It will be good again. And so this is God's purpose for us. This is his purpose for the earth. That all of it will be perfected. That all of it will be renewed what about Babylon? How does this fit with everything else that's going on? Like we said, Babylon is going to be destroyed. Let's look at verses 15 through 20. And these verses all point to these who are doing evil. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision this means their immorality the cup in the lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory the the cup is god's wrath it will come and destroy those who are wicked the violence done to lebanon verse 17 will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth the, to cities and all who dwell in them what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. What God is saying in these verses is that Babylon was going to be destroyed for their wickedness. But the root of all their immorality was false worship. They worshipped idols. Gods who could not speak. And then look at verse 20. The idols who can't speak are contrasted with the Lord. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Notice this contrast. While the idols are mute and they can't speak. God's power causes silence. Silence. So, how do these things fit together? God's purpose for all creation is that he will restore it. He, may, he will make it new. And in the midst of that, all wickedness will be destroyed. All evil will be destroyed. If you looked further on at Revelation 20, where we read from a moment ago, it said that no wicked thing would ever come in. No wicked person, no wicked object, nothing would ever come in those gates. And so if you're in here and you're not walking by faith in the Lord, you don't have righteousness. You are wicked. There's no middle road. There's not good people, then kind of decent people, and then wicked people. There's no middle road. It's wicked people, righteous people. And so if you don't trust in the Lord, you will be judged. But, as we said earlier, our righteousness comes from the Lord. None of us are saying this to you and saying we're just special. It's not that. It's God's grace. It's his love. He sent his son to die that you might have righteousness and that you might live in faith. So, 
Let's look at chapter 3. What happens to Habakkuk next? He's asked these questions and God has responded. He's heard him and he's responded. God will not let his people get away with their sins. And these other extremely wicked nations will be destroyed. God will cleanse the earth. He will renew it. And then we see Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3. Genuine questions produce genuine trust. We're going to read verse 2 of chapter 3 and then verses 13 through 16. So follow along with me. Habakkuk says in chapter 3 verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. Habakkuk has heard the answers to his questions. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Then look at verses 13 through 16. Habakkuk is speaking of God. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. You see, as Habakkuk asked these questions of God, these questions that were he was wrestling with, God responded to him. And what we see in chapter 3 is Habakkuk's response that he has seen God. And that God will be a defender of his people. That God will keep Habakkuk and those others who are walking in righteousness. That God loves them and he will protect them. And so what you see in Habakkuk is a man who questions. But then as he questions God, he comes to a place of full trust. Of full faith. Genuine trust. The place I want to land is in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. We saw genuine trust, but we also see this genuine praise. Remember, the book starts with how long, O Lord? It's this place of, he feels unsettled, struggling. But then in 17 through 19, Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk knows that judgment's going to come to his people for their sin. And he knows that that will affect even him. He knows that his land will be completely raided and there will be nothing. It's difficult to imagine this if you haven't lived in in an agricultural society. But imagine if around us all the grocery stores and everything were gone. There was nothing. Habakkuk said, look, there's no food, there's no drink. I've got nothing, God, but my hope is completely in you. This is genuine praise. You see, Habakkuk says... I will take joy in the God of my salvation. When God is our salvation, He is everything. This is true faith. Even when God chooses to give us nothing, we still have Him. 
And this is why we will always point back to chapter 2, verse 4, when it said, what's his purpose for us? The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. I want to read to you a few verses from Psalm that I think bring out some things of what's going on here. Psalm chapter 73, verse 26. The psalmist says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, in the Lord, we find a reservoir that never runs dry. Even though everything else may run out, God never runs out. This is why Paul could say in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. All this is in Christ, in whom we have life. Believer, I wonder if you feel this way. I wonder if you feel like Habakkuk, that if everything else was gone, you would hope in God. He is enough. He is enough. If there's unbelievers in the room, how would you feel if everything was taken away from you? There will be times in life when you will ask questions, when everything that's around you seems to be falling and you feel isolated, alone. Do you have hope? Do you have faith? The only purpose you will find is in God himself who has created you and who loves you and who sent a savior to die for you. Let's read one more quote. As we've come to the end of Habakkuk, we, we saw that he began with a question, how long, O oh Lord? And he, this question, these questions continued for a bit. But look how it ends with Habakkuk trusting the Lord, praising the Lord. The redeeming God had used the questions as a means of grace to fortify Habakkuk's faith. Read that one more time. The redeeming God had used the questions as a means of grace to fortify Habakkuk's faith. I want to encourage you this morning, believer, to not be afraid to go to God to ask questions. I want to encourage you to wait, to trust, on, to trust in Him. I also want to encourage you, challenge you. Do you live by faith? And the one who gave himself for you and the one who died. This is the central verse of all Habakkuk. And that's why that same verse is carried throughout the entire scripture. It's by faith that we are saved. It's by His righteousness. It's by faith in His Son, His perfection, that He comes and He forgives us of our sins. Forgives us of our sins. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. And I hope that as we do, that you hope fully in Him, that you feel nurtured by Christ, by His presence, that if all things are taken away from you, you have Christ and He is enough. He's enough. I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward.